for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is travel, but my heart is in culture. Today's podcast is about outlaws and outliers in the Smokies. But first, a little, uh, a little sponsorship information. Uh, I want you to imagine a place evocative, a motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant, with a chic Appalachian feel a place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire and eat accompanied by fine wines or craft beers. Imagine a place with old time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain adventure starts with where you stay. Smokiesadventure.com, that's Smokies plural, adventure singular.com, is a site that features uh, listings and information about the smokings, hiking, wedding venues, books, trail maps, resources. The emphasis on smoky adventures is outdoor recreation, outdoor life events like weddings and adventures, along with providing information on lodging, family, family entertainment, events, conventions, and honeymoons and moors. It's the leading information portal of the Smoky Mountains. I want to mention some events coming up. Uh, this is summertime in the Smokies. There's lots of events. Um, so you can, you can sort of search for them and find them just about anywhere. I, I've picked some that I think are great. Uh, and also, you know, relative to the businesses, uh, the business I run in the mountains. Um, and, and the first one is the Darren Nicholson Bluegrass Band Camp and Concert. Uh, some of you that know anything about bluegrass know Darren Nicholson. He's a member of Balsam Range. Uh, he has his own band. He's a Grammy Award-nominated uh, artist and, a, and, a, and, a, and has won many bluegrass awards. This event is for aspiring musicians to learn and interact with some of the best artists in the business. And then will culminate in an open to the public all-star concert on July 17th. That's this Saturday. This, will, uh, this, this band camp will be repeated in future years. So look forward if you're listening in the, in the future to this podcast. But for now, uh, July 17th and, and 2021, go to metalarkmotel.com. Look under the Mountain Heritage, uh, Smoky Mountain Heritage events, and you'll find this event. And you can purchase tickets uh, to come to it. You can also, with lodging, you get a free concert and you get half price on the, on the band camp. Big event coming July 23rd and 24th is Hillbilly Jam, the famous Hillbilly Jam in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Open the public both days, music festival with crafts and food, food vendors, moonshiners of the Discovery Channel, car and bike show and more. So go to thehillbillyjam.com or call 828-450-7995. This year is the 55th season of the Shindig on the Green presented by the Folk Heritage Committee uh, and along with uh, the headlining sponsor, Allen's Jewelry and Paul and Ficklestein's Loan Office. 
but it's a free event in the heart of downtown Nashville. It goes over several days during the summer. Um, and, it, and and the left the left the, the days left in July are the 17th, the 24th, and the 31st, as well as the August 14th and 20 and the 21st. And the heart of downtown Asheville at Park Square, Pack Squares Park Roger Park, Pack Squares Park called Roger McGuire Green. That's Pack Square Park. Roger McGuire's the Roger McGuire Green. I, I got to learn to say that better. <laughs> It's got lots of music, lots of vendors. It's a great thing to go to. It's been going for 55 years. I'm sure you'll find it. This is also the year of the 94th annual Mountain Dance and Folk Festival. Uh, it's a ticket event at Lipinski Hall Auditorium at UNC Asheville, which is uh, uh, in, uh, on 300 Liberty Lane in Asheville. Uh, it takes place uh, every uh, on each of the nights, Thursday through Saturday at 6.30 p.m. nightly. Um, and uh, I think the upcoming dates are August 5th, 6th, and 7th. So I advise you to go that. It was a 94-year event. It has to be doing something else. And it showcases music, dancers, and storytellers. Um, today, I have a great and fabulous guest. He is Neil Hutchin. He is an award-winning filmmaker, photographer, and author who has won, among other things, three uh, uh, won, among other things, three Emmy awards. His work has been featured on uh, uh, PBS, the History Channel, Discovery, and others. He resides in Raleigh, North Carolina, where he works as a producer and director of the Language and Life Project for NC State University. But he also spends a great deal of time in the Great Smokies which has the, been the location of several of his most popular projects and famous subjects like Popcorn Sutton. Hello, Neil. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad, so glad. So you grew up in Chapel Hill, right? I did, that's right, yep. Cool, and then you were, were, went to Boone for Appalachian State and then to Raleigh where you studied at NC State, is that all correct? Yeah, you've got my whole rap sheet. I got your whole rap sheet, right? Well, I went to Duke, so I had to notice it. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Yeah, so I, get, I, I, I imagine you and I could have a pretty good conversations about basketball, right? Are, yeah. you, are you a fan of North Carolina sports? Well, you know, you can't really ignore them. And growing up in Chapel Hill, like, it was like, a, you know, it's all encompassing. You know, you cut and you, you, you're Carolina blue. It's, you know, you don't even have a choice. <laughs> You don't. I mean, you would probably run out of town if you didn't. <laughs> it is. It is a college town. So, but it's a great college town. I went there a few times, you know, to to see see Duke beat Carolina. Uh, but <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. So, you grew up in a, a very strong culture, part of the state of North Carolina. Um, but you obviously you're a gifted art, artist with a passion for history and music and culture and colorful uh, characters. I understand. Uh, do you cut your teeth professionally by working with the NC State University linguist Walt Wolfram and some other social scientists? Uh, yeah, that's it. That's true. Um, I kind of hit, hit the ground with working with Walt and doing language programs. I mean, that's kind of what brought me to the mountains in the first place. Uh, yeah. Was that is that when you did your your sort of first uh, real big step forward in your career when you did a film called Mountain Talk? Yeah, that film was pivotal, pivotal, yeah. sorry, <laughs> for sure. Um, and uh, I, I'd say, you know, that was the first full-length documentary that I had done. 
and uh, and, it, and it really allowed me to spend a lot of time up there where you are right now mm-hmm. and uh, and to meet people and just to kind of um, absorb the culture, the local culture. Yeah. Is, do you feel, I mean, since you came through linguists, do you think the sound of language is uh, uh, the entree into your art? I think um, I always looked at language as a as an entree into the culture. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a different direction into looking at culture, and it and it and it uh, it's incredibly illuminating to look at culture that way instead mm-hmm. of kind of you know as opposed to whatever head on. Uh, you know, it's um, it's kind of a backdoor to looking at culture, um, and the more you look at it, it's it's incredibly fascinating. Were you all, were you all, even when you were young, were you interested in language? Were you interested in? in, No, no, totally unexpected. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I, you know, I find it interesting, but you know, anything, anything that you study becomes interesting. Oh, yeah. The more you know about it. Um, But uh, no, it's just that I happened to be at NC State. I was doing educational programs. People said that Walt Wolfram needed a, a video dude. This was in the 90s. And I stepped in his office and I said, I, you know, if you have work, you know, I can help you. I'm freelancing. And he said, are you any good? And I said, you know, I think so. So uh, and so we started working and then that that has turned out to be a very fruitful collaboration. And I'm still working with him. Is that how you ended up being uh, uh, with your job is uh, through that relationships? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. a full time gig. You know, I, I was reluctant to let go of free time to do my own projects. So it wasn't a full-time gig for, for many years, but um, I've still found time to do my own work as well on the side. Well, what do you do at the Language and Life Project? Well, I produce documentaries. Right. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, producing a documentary is, is, do, is wearing many, many hats. <laughs> so I do a lot of things. Uh, right now I'm preparing for a trip to Ghana in August, a production trip. And so very little of what I do is, would be what people think of as production right now. It's, I'm not doing any editing or shooting, um, which is what I prefer to be doing. But you also have to do a lot of planning, prep, and you know, logistical um, preparations and things like that too. It's part of the job. Well, you know, I, I'm interested. You know, I always like to know the the origins of people's craft, and I, I don't know if you know. I'm also an artist, and it always, but I came out it. I had no clue I was going to be an artist, and so you know, the, the, even analyzing myself, trying to figure out where where were the where was the evolution that all of a sudden you become an artist. You know, a lot of people grow up and consider themselves artists from the womb, and other people just discover it along the way. Were you from the womb, or did you discover it along the way? Definitely along the way, and and you know it'd be interesting. I don't know if you want to talk more about that in particular right now, with limited time. But uh, you know it'd be interesting to know how you got started because um, for me it was kind of a lifeline that came to me unexpectedly in my college years. Um, uh-huh. I was I was kind of an intense young person um, with a lot going on, but I didn't have uh, any m- means of self-expression, you know. And uh, one way or another, it's got to come out, and um, I didn't have the discipline to develop skills that at writing at that time or at, at painting or some other craft to, to kind of get it out. So um, filmmaking kind of landed in my lap. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, my, my, my story is actually fairly quick. Yeah, I was an arrogant uh, technology guy and uh, somebody uh, you know, showed me uh, some art and I looked at it and I didn't understand it. And I said, well, I could do that. And they said, well, then do it. And that started me on a journey. <laughs> 
<laughs> I found it yeah. personal that I couldn't do it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it had a lot more depth and, and meaning. And that journey led me uh, a long way. But it was me being an arrogant, uh, ignorant cuss that started my journey. <laughs> uh, I love to hear yeah. about these things. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, we'll come back. We'll jump into some of the stuff that you've done and, and, and dig deeper into your, your art and the Smoky great, Mountains. Great. Thank you. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, live, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m. So tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Oh, sorry. I only got. I was on. Didn't get unmuted. So this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast, and my guest Neil Hutchison. Hey, Neil, how you doing? Hey, great. <laughs> yes, that was that was my awkward entry. Uh, so uh, I do that occasionally. Uh, <laughs> so um, you know, uh, I mentioned Mountain Talk, but that wasn't your first uh, documentary, right? Uh, it was probably the first one that I recognized as actually being a documentary. That was your first one that's your art. Yeah. Your art. Okay, cool. Uh, you know, the, um, I, you know, the, we, I, I entitled this episode Outlaws and Outliers because you've, you, you've done some outlaws and the most famous being Popcorn Sutton. But you've done yeah. some other, you've done some uh, documentaries and work about another. You, I, I understand you had a, you have collaborated with a, a gifted writer and a storyteller and playwright named Gary Carden of Silva. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's a colorful and talented person. How did you two meet? 
Well, I met him like I met so many other people when I when I came up here working on Mountain Talk. Um, mm -hmm. I, I I spent about two years, you know, back and forth from Raleigh uh, working on that particular film. But um, Gary was one of the people that I really connected with, and um, of course we've been working together ever since. Um, but uh, somebody pointed him uh, pointed me in his direction. Basically, mm -hmm. they said they said he's a uh, you should talk to him. He talks about language a little bit. So that's how it started. I went and found him and I interviewed him and um, I just kept visiting him. And, and I, in fact, uh, I, I started working on a documentary about him in particular. Uh -huh. And this was in maybe 2002. All right. So I'm still hoping, I'm hoping to finish it this year. You um, seem to work for your work. You do, you take, you do take your time with your, your uh, uh, subjects, right? I don't uh, feel like I have any control over it. Sometimes they kind of work out <laughs> It's yeah. like an organic process that uses me, and I just they they're done when they're done, you know. So you and him, uh, you and him collaborated. And this is what was interesting to me: the outlaw Lewis Redman, who was, I guess, the first king of the moonshiners. Can you you tell yeah. us a little bit about, about pro that project and 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 him and and didn't he kill a man and get away with it? Yeah. Uh, well, in the end, he didn't get away with it, but um, yeah, that's right. Um, it's a great story. Uh, Lewis Redmond was, first of all, let me mention about Gary Carden's also a playwright. And um, the way I got onto this particular topic was Gary Carden's play called The Prince of Dark Corners. And, um, and so I produced with Gary and with an actor named Milton Higgins, a really brilliant guy who sadly uh, died um, last month. But so the three of us put to, you know, did a production of that play. Um, that's how I got to know the story of Lewis Redmond, because that's what the play was about. And then I did a, a follow-up documentary. But Lewis Redmond was an outlaw, active in where, up where you are in, in um, southern Appalachia at the end of the uh, 19th century. And um, he, was, he was active at the same time as Billy the Kid and Jesse James, um, names that everybody knows. And he was actually more famous than either one of them. There were oh, wow. more newspaper articles about Lewis Redmond than either oh. one of those, those two. So that's amazing when you think about the fact that obviously most of your listeners have probably never heard of him. No, I, you know, I, until I started researching you, I had never heard of him. Uh, so it's interesting, yeah. but he was, he, it was quite a character. You know, he killed, a, what was it, a sheriff or something like that? He was trying to arrest him? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, he may yeah. have killed another man. There's, you know, the... That's one thing that's interesting about his story is that the historical record is very muddied yeah. and it kind of is muddied in a way that is interestingly reflects the kind of public media about Appalachia through a lot of America's history, which is, which is to say that in Southern, in mountain papers and regional papers, he was regarded as, he was talked about in these very noble terms. Mm -hmm. And in the Northern papers, he was he was uh, talked about as a as a degenerate and as outlaw and stuff like that, you know. And and there was these very exaggerated kind of depictions of him. So it's a it's a really interesting subject. And the truth is somewhere in the middle, and nobody you know has really sorted it all out. But um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you understand it because yeah, moonshine was an important source of income for a lot of people, and it helped save a lot of people's family at the same time it destroyed a lot of people's families right so yeah, absolutely uh, people, people used to worship the ones that could make a go of it um you know i uh i um i remember growing up you know and, and that, which would have been in the 60s 
there was a, in, in in the early seventies. There, you know, that what people would say with a, with a sort of a tongue in cheek, but they would say you were more likely to get arrested for drunk driving than you were for killing somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know. it was it was a little bit rough in in, in sort of some ways, but. Uh, you know, I read this quote from you, right? I thought it was really insightful. You said you wrote, you you uh, told somebody, I forget who it was, but mountain culture is surprisingly vigorous and surprisingly alive and will be until the current generation of 50 somethings dies out. And it is dying out. Psychologically, there's a fundamental difference in the way they look at the world and treat each other. They, we wear masks and assume roles, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but mountain people are not capable of that. I think that was like 2003 or something. Do you think that's still true? Or what did you mean? Yeah, I think um, a lot has changed since, since I said that. And uh, I think what I was um, witnessing and what other people are witnessing is that the real time change has taken place. And, um, but no, there's, there's still those pockets of real mountain culture and, and People coming to, to the area can still experience that and meet people and get and you know and get to experience a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is a uh, there's a book that uh, tends to be castigated called um, "Our Southern Highlanders" by right. Horace Kepler, very famous, right? Yeah. And he was he was right in the area, like he was probably you're in Maggie Valley right now, so right. he was camping, you know, a couple miles from where you're talking right now. And when he was writing this book, so you know the people that he was writing about were, if you're talking about the long-term residents that are still there, they were the very people that are still there. Their their grandparents, mm -hmm. right? And um, the funny thing is, I got to, because of my friendship with Popcorn Sutton and a few other people, like I really got to see the inside of mountain culture, and um, even though that book. Our Southern Highlanders is problematic uh, and people have attacked it for good reasons, but I got to see that there were very real characteristics in those people that are described perfectly in that book that was written almost a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. So that shows you the strength of, of, of culture and the character of the culture that uh, with all the changes in the last hundred years, you you still can see those same those same tendencies. They're baked in. Um, now, I don't know. You know what I said. The quote that you gave. You know, I don't know. Is the next generation inheriting those? Well, it's interesting. You know, this 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 weekend we had uh, storytellers and singers over at the at the Metal Arc, the Heritage Center, right? And we had a seventy year old storyteller tell a story, but. He was brought there by a 20-something-year-old uh, guy who's a previous person on this uh, podcast, Will Ritter. Um, oh, yeah, he's and, great. Yeah, and he, he's learning from all these old-timers, you know, uh, the culture and heritage. And it was really fabulous. So there are young people out there learning it. And, you know, my, my family, right, there's still people that live up in the hills and... Uh, you know, are still very, uh, very much in mountain culture. And, you know, it's a, there's a beauty to it. I mean, once you uh, pick, you know, get through the, you know, what some people perceive as sort of the hard exterior, it's a very loving culture and very funny. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Right. I, you know, when I was working in, in Cherokee, um, which is not far from where you are, uh, there, there was a, a historian there that we interviewed who, who suggested that um, mountain culture not only influenced Cherokee culture, but Cherokee cult culture influenced mountain culture. And so what you're talking about, about this hard exterior that you don't quite know what people are thinking, you're not seeing their emotions and stuff like that, and what you get behind it, it's very loving and very, very funny. A lot of like poking fun at each other in a very like smart and like don't be fooled if you have not been to the mountains and you have the perception that you're going to be dealing with some simple yokels because they haven't necessarily been to something like that they're going to be one step ahead of you the whole time so like they may be making fun of you and you never even catch it so no. you know <laughs> drop your attitude at the door i say <laughs> that's, that's a, well, that you know that yeah. There seems to be a common thread in your work. I looked at it, uh, and you know, and it's the it is the pres preservation of various kinds of na nature culture, native cultures like the Cherokee Indian language, the Appalachian uh, culture, you know, African American dialects, as as well as you know, mountain music, moonshining. So, and even heritage fisheries out in the on the East Coast. So. Is, is yeah. that where your passion lies? Is it sort of like understanding these cultures and maybe giving a little to help preserve them? Well, I, you know, I would back up from preservation and say my passion really is in, is in when I get on the scene and I, I find something that I'm really interested in and I see how quickly it's changing. I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like I, I am on the spot with my experience and a, and a, you know, recording devices and I feel a duty to document things as they change. Mm -hmm. um, can that lead to like preservation in specific instances? I think so, you know, if people understand like uh, fishermen, like if, you know, people who are not from the community, they may come down there and find them to be a very rough bunch of people. They may find negative stereotypes about the way that they treat the resource and things like that. But then as they get to know them, the, you know, if they can understand their experiences a little more they kind of understand that it, that the it's much more nuanced than than what they've been given to understand, mm -hmm. and um, though they actually will wind up being in sympathy with with um, certain people that they might not have expected to previously because they had misconceptions about them, and so can understanding people lead to um, not doing the things that change their culture as much? I I hope so. I think so. Um, yeah, I think also, I think, you know, you know, the world can be overwhelming at times and it can come in and try to force you to, you know, think that your culture is not important or stupid or silly. And it can cause especially younger people to say, uh, abandon it, right? And I think that a lot of people can come to understand, hey, the culture they grew up in was really important to who they are. And it was really beautiful in a lot of ways. Right. And I, you know, I started this podcast, you know, sort of, you know, the business intent, but, you know, I've also discovered that I love, um, you know, bringing this culture and the beauty of this culture to light. Uh, so, you know, I think what you're doing is fabulous in that regard. So uh, we're going to take a break and I guess we'll talk about uh, a little bit about your famous subject. <laughs> okay. That was good. Uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? 
Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics in the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Neil Hutchinson. So, Neil, you, you mentioned I'm in Maggie Valley, but I'm actually sitting in New York City. I split my time between Maggie Valley and North Carolina. Oh, okay. So, but, you know, I, uh, when I left the mountains, you know, I had to uh, do sort of the reverse of you. I had to go outside the world and had to get people to, uh, you know, open up to me and accept me, you know, and... Uh, you know, penetrate, uh, you know, whatever cultural norms that that existed in place. Like, you know, New York's always sort of slightly testing you and, you know, you have to always, you know, prove that you could handle it. But uh, yeah. so when you came to uh, to, to the mountains, there, there's obviously, you know, a, a big, you know, testing, a barrier, you know, to penetrating that, you know. And so how did you, how did you get your subjects to accept you uh, and to warm up to you? Uh that, well, I, I just spent time there and I gave them, um, I, you know, I always kind of knew intuitively not to um, try to ingratiate myself or try like as if, as if they wouldn't like see through my efforts to kind of win their trust or what, you know. So I just um, was always mindful of just being myself and just spending enough time that, that I had, they had a chance to assess me and um consider whatever it is you know that i was after so 
Mm. And that was we, basically it. Well, you know, I, I knew Popcorn Sutton, uh, not particularly well, but I knew, uh, knew him. And he, you know, he was a real cagey guy. <laughs> you know, yeah, he, he was, was, he was, you know, he was smart and he's always sort of, I always felt he was putting on a little bit of a performance because it was, you know, it made him money. So how did, did how did you break through and get to some real honest stuff from him? Well, it, you know, it took a long time in a way to, to get like, you know, beyond the performance, but, um, in a way, you know, not that long because I would say, you may not agree with this, I don't know, um, but uh, I would say like there was always a performance in play when he was dealing with the public, um, but it was kind of based on who he really was. And so yeah. it was interestingly, it was like the performance was kind of close to who he actually was. He was just giving, um, you know, certain portions of the public maybe more, more more the tourist a version of a moonshiner that they would that was what they expected you know mm -hmm. and um but behind the scenes he actually was that so yeah. you know so i think he just kind of knew where to lean in and exaggerate and, and things like that sometimes he could lay it on a little thick but yeah. um well, he was a, he was a, you know, back in the mountains, we have somebody that can make a deal really well. We call him a horse trader. My dad's a hell of a horse trader. He's, he's, he's from way back in the mountains, Fines Creek. And uh, he and Popcorn Sutton got along, my, uh, along really well because my dad was a contractor and, you know, Popcorn would need some things every once in a while and, and horse trade with him to get some construction done uh, in exchange for some uh, barrels of moonshine. So I ended up being able to drink some of Popcorn's moonshine over the years. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you would say, though, that he was a master of promoting himself, right, and, and making deals to get himself known and get his products out there. Yeah, I, I think he was, um, but I, you know, I just, I do want it, to, it, it's true, but, and, but, you know, along the way, some people have, have written him off and said he wasn't a real thing. He was just playing a character. So, oh, no, he was the real thing. No. <laughs> right. So, I, yeah, I just want to emphasize that, yeah, there's a performance, all right, but it was Listen, much uh, to, to make moonshine, you have to know, it's almost instinctual when the turn turn it to when to you know to cut it and when to stop you know when the when it, what, at what point in the distilling process to pull the liquor out and that's what you're going to drink right and uh, and the right water and things like that and if you don't do it exactly right uh, and have so almost an instinctual thing about it it'll just taste horrible but his always tasted really good he had an art to it yeah, yeah that's true that, that that's right um there's the one aspect of it which is the craftsman and that was all that was all true and that was there and, but then the, you know, the art of performance is something I talk about a, a little bit in the book that I did on popcorn. And I speculate that, um, I don't have any, you know, other sources for this, but I speculate that what you were talking about, about horse trading and the talent for barter in the mountains is that the talent for performance in the mountains, which is well known and, and incredible, that that developed out of the little dance that you do around trading things and the, and the kind of like, well, you know, devaluing things and just that, you know, that skill that was honed over so much time. And I think that when the park was founded and outsiders came in and stuff like that, that I think that that led them naturally to some of them to finding uh, an inner talent for performance. Well, you know, I think if you look at the tradition of storytelling, 
Yeah, storytelling, mountain storytelling is, is often an exaggeration, right? I caught 50 fish in the pant leg when I fell in the water, right? <laughs> that sort of thing. It is sort of the reverse of the horse training, which is saying, well, these trousers are no good. I couldn't catch any fish in them. <laughs> right they're like yeah. the opposite opposite of the of the same coin <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so um so you've done three movies on popcorn right documentaries yeah it's a little bit of a complicated history but yeah technically three movies we did a, a cult classic uh well it became a cult classic the the first thing that i made was really um for popcorn to sell out of his junk shop and it was something he wanted to do and that one's called, that one's always, that one's the most popular now, 20 years later. Um, it's called, This is the Last Damn Run of Liquor I'll Ever Make. <laughs> I've seen and, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. people are still, it's, it, the whole thing's on YouTube if anybody wants to check it out, but people are still discovering it and it's lasted longer than anything else I've done. But um, th then I did a television version which came out at the tail end of 2008 uh, called The Last One. And that was a PBS family-friendly kind of version of that with, with cuts away for context and interviews and things like that. It's a, it's a little mm -hmm. different. And then I did a more biographical piece uh, called A Hell of a Life. And that came out after he had died. He died in 2009. That came out in, oh, I forget, but maybe 2012. Yeah, cool. Well, and you've also, I, I, you recently, you've done a book recently. Like, it's almost like a, a, a table talk book, but so more more meaningful i mean what, what was how did you come about doing that yeah well thanks for describing it that way it's it's deliberately designed to be enjoyable if you want to flip through idly or if you want to dig in so i um, i knew that people would want to have copies because popcorn is is well known and intriguing and so i felt a duty to make it as good as i, I possibly could um you know in a way i feel like i was always working on that book and i just didn't know it um, while I was doing the documentaries. But um, the, the real motivation was that, you know, nowadays um, popcorn is remembered as, in some quarters, as, as something akin to a folk hero. And um, it's a very simplified version and a very kind of um, noble, you know, version of who he was. This is a friend of mine, okay? I'm not, I'm not dragging him down. And I think that folk hero is interesting. And I think that that phenomenon of him turning into a folk hero is fascinating. And I talk about that in the book, but the, the, uh, you know, the main purpose at the start of working on the book was to make sure that he's remembered as I knew him as a person. And I knew he would want that, that he did. He really didn't want to be the hero. He wanted to be the outlaw and he wanted to be who he was. Um, and so I think that, and so the book tries, and I think to some extent, I would say, if it's okay for me to say about my own book, like succeeds, in in capturing him you know fairly cool what, uh, what what was the name of the book again what was the full title of it it's called the moonshiner popcorn sutton the moonshiner popcorn sutton and it's available at, on a lot of places you go to the, the the i think we have it up on smokiesadventure.com and the metal arc motel and you can probably get it on amazon right it's a great book and there's a dvd with it right if you get it on amazon you're going to pay a him because I, I held back because I, I want people to buy it from local um, places like the Meadowlark and, and the other places that are supporting the book and that support community um, culture. So I hope people will buy local first. That's good. Local living economy is its uh, 
if we can promote that, that's that's important. Uh, you know, that's why I, I I keep the small business I have in the mountains going is you know to support local economies. I think it's important. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and you have a, a publishing company and a, and a production company. Well, I've got a publishing company now that I've published a book. <laughs> uh, how many more books we'll publish? We'll see. It's a lot of work. Turns out. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I've got a I've got a production company that's basically has just facilitated um, my own projects. It's more or less a one man band. So still, um, in recent years, I've been collaborating uh, with other people on on independent projects. But um, cool. yeah, cool. I've just I've just kind of invented and um, improvised all along the way to make whatever it was I was doing next happen. Well, why did you call it Sucker Punch Productions? <laughs> well there's 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 a uh, triple entendre in that it's um uh nothing to be worried about but uh mainly you know um it, i was thinking about it sounds kind of punky and brash and that was kind of how i felt as a upstart like who what right do i have to just make films without anybody's permission and uh and be the kind of like octopus uh character you know, it's a pun on sucker punch and just, uh, and you know, all the different jobs that I have to have in order to make a film, you know, it's not just filming and editing. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it was funny to me, the different arms. All right. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's important to have something meaningful for your company, especially if you have an inside joke. I had a company called Corporate Performance Artists one time because somebody had asked me while I was doing art and I was doing raising, I raised a, some money for a, a startup in the dot-com era. And they said, what the hell are you? And I said, I guess I'm a corporate performance artist. <laughs> <laughs> and so I named my company that and I, and I would tell people I'm performing my company. And it was an, in it was an inside joke, but yeah, it, it makes it, it makes it fun. You know, it makes, it makes it uh, something that's personal and a little, a little secret that you can have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why, you know, if you're going to do something for yourself, you should have fun and, and, you know, indulge a little bit and make it the way you want to. Cool. Um, so uh, you, I think you, you, uh, Bob was telling me you were working on, Bob Plot, you know, introduced us, right? So, yeah. um, so you, oh, I see we're going to need to take a break now. So I want to talk about a queen family that you're uh, working on. And then we're going to get, since you know so much about the the mountains now. I want to get your your favorite things to go for people to go see. Sounds good. All right. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauber, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. McElroy, host of the 
new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast with my guest, Neil Hutchinson. So, Neil, you are working on uh, something that's interesting to me. You know, Maggie Valley calls itself the clogging capital of the world, right? So we're always proud of dancing in the mountains, especially, you know, uh, square dancing and clogging. So you're working on a project on the iconic Queen family, one of the foremost musical dancing clans in the Great Smokies. What you doing? Oh, well, you know, um, that was actually a project that I did some, some years ago. Oh, really? And, yeah, it's already done. And it was it was about music and the group that Queen, as you know, for us, you know, yeah. is a huge, huge name up there. And so uh, there, there are great dancers, but the ones that I was working with weren't really into dancing. They were just into music. Okay. And so uh, they were in, in uh, Jackson County off of Johns Creek, um, Caney Fork. Okay. You know that area. I love and, that, um, yeah. Okay, so, uh, and it was, I started with Mary Jane Queen, who was the matriarch of the family, and she knew ballads that were hundreds of years old. And um, and so, um, but I gradually got to know more of her family, and they're all musical, and when they get together, they would all play there, literally on the back porch, and make incredible mountain music. And it wasn't like, it wasn't, it, it was like the real thing. You know, it was like, you just felt, uh, them expressing their love for each other by sharing that music with each other. And so that's basically what I was documenting is, is looking at mountain culture through another window, which was, which was music. Well, I'm very interested in seeing that. What, 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 where do you have that uh, documentary? I think the whole thing's on YouTube right now. So and what's it called? It's called The Queen Family. <laughs> the Queen Family. Sort of. The Queen Family. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So, uh, so you've done a lot of visiting to the mountains, okay? So what is your uh, what is your favorite natural uh, natural uh, uh, wonder in the mountains? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I used to come up there backpacking a lot when I was a kid, and I didn't know anything about the culture, but I, I really enjoyed the um, the landscape and and just interacting with the wild spaces. And my favorite place was always the Joyce Kilmer Slick Rock area. Oh which is uh, adjacent to um, Graham County. Yeah. And what was what did you find special about that? 
Well, I, I, I like the, the trails, you know, um, for backpacking, but then, you know, one of the really special things about that spot is that they preserved a small section that, that was never logged, right? So all the mountains, most, a lot of people don't even know this, that the great Appalachian wilderness was, was absolutely incredible with these huge trees. They were 12 feet in diameter and those are all gone. They were all logged. And right. um, what, what we see now is what's thrown back right and it's, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful um but it's not the wild place that was there before and so joyce kilmer you could see that and um you know the last time i went a storm had taken out a lot of the big trees unfortunately it was it was kind of sad but it's still there and you can go there and park and there's there's short trails you can walk you don't have to go backpacking or anything like that you can walk half mile or a mile and get back in there cool and the creek is just gorgeous well, that, yeah, I haven't actually visited there, so I need to do that. That sounds really like a wonderful time. Um, now, you do Popcorn Sutton, so you know a little bit about the distilleries. I think you were involved with the Moonshiner Chateau, or at least know of it, right? Uh, it was inspired by your movie, anyway. <laughs> I believe that it was, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so you know local distilleries. So is there any of them uh, doing anything, any um, quote, quote, moonshine? It's not real moonshine if it's legal, but moonshine, that, that's pretty good uh, compared to popcorn to brew. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of these things have sprung up fairly recently. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, there's a lot of good beer you can get in the mountains. Now, I, I will not turn down a, a good hipster IPA. Um, no, no, and, yeah. and you can find them whether you're in Silver or uh, there's a great place in Bryson City. But anyway, and uh, Nanahala Brewing Company, I think they're called. And don't so forget Boojum in Waynesville, yeah. There's good beer around, but it's not, you know, that's nothing traditional. Yeah. Um, the only distillery that I know anything about is Elevated Mountain in, um, in Maggie Valley. And, and I think people should go check it out and they should see that because um, the proprietor, Dave Angel, he puts on a great tour and you get to sample the stuff and it's good quality and he's from there. And I think mm. I'm not quite sure about his whole story, but I think he's he's like you and that he's he's been elsewhere and come back. Yeah, he was actually in New York for a little while, but he's a cousin. He's my cousin. Um, about that. Okay. Uh, yeah. We're all related down there. <laughs> um, let me you go to Silver a lot and that's a wonderful town. What would you say is a great itinerary wanting to visit Silva? Starting with uh, breakfast, you know, and then where you might go in the morning, then lunch, and then the afternoon, then dinner, and then the evening for entertainment. Well, Silva's changed a lot too. It's 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 developed, but um, it always had a little bit of stuff going on because it's it's proximity to Western Carolina University. Um, but um, you know, and you can spend a day in Silva, and you can find good food morning uh morning day and night but um if if i was going up there and somebody was going up to explore the area i would say get in your car and or in your motorcycle whatever drive a little bit and get around and um, yeah i always like to uh in fact i just mentioned joyce kilmer well that's that's close to robbinsville and um robbinsville the last time i was there doesn't have a lot going on but i always love going to robbinsville you really feel like you're getting back into a mountain community um and there's a place there, I think it's called Lulu's. No, it's called um, Lucy, Lynn's, something like Lynn's Place. It's had different names over the years, but it's at the top of the hill going in Robbinsville and you won't miss it because there's, there's not much else around. And it's just a diner. You're going to get breakfast there. You're going to get regular, um, you know, diner kind of breakfast food. But what you're also going to get is you're going to be around local people mm-hmm. in there and they're going to be friendly. They'll probably be curious about what you're doing and 
and it won't be hard to strike up a conversation, which I highly recommend and start your morning out that way. That's fabulous. Right. Okay. And then you can take a nice drive. If you want to go by Joyce Kilmer or you take the roads, they're curvy and beautiful motorcyclists love them. And you can take, you can go up. I've never spent much time at Fontana village, but if you like that kind of thing, there's a lot of, um, of stuff up there. Historical stuff. Yeah. And, um, and then you can see Fontana dam, which is impressive, uh, piece of work and circle back around and, um, come back to Silva for lunch. And you don't want to miss the coffee shop because it's, it's just another place where real people gather. It's been there forever. My friend, Gary Carden, who's now 86, I think, like he was a, as a kid, he, um, what do you call it? Car hopped or whatever. He brought the burgers out to the people in the car. That's like, just called the coffee shop in Silva? It's called the coffee shop. There's a sign hanging. It's on the main road going into Silva. Um, and they're going to have country food. It's going to be hearty fare. They're going to have a special of the day. They're going to cook you a good meal. You probably need to take a walk afterwards if you're planning to have dinner because you'll be full. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, but again, it's it's also where working people and local people are going to go too. So the, that's why I would give those answers. Um, and then because um, you had me thinking about this before, so I was yeah. there was a place there's a place in Bryson City. So if you want to go for a really fine meal after after uh, all that, um, there's a place called the Cork and Bean in Bryson City. And they cook, um, they've got a, a great chef there and they, and they cook a lot of like fresh, healthy, uh, um, freshly sourced fare, original, um, an original menu. A lot of times you can get mountain trout, which is my favorite. Um, so if you can get that, I would recommend. You can get it done well. It's the best thing to get in the mountains. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, we have a few minutes left. How do people uh, get in touch with you or follow you, keep track of what you're doing? Well, um, I'd say, you know, if you want to check out the work, there's a lot of like extra clips and especially a lot with Popcorn Sutton on my YouTube channel and it's Sucker Punch Pictures. Just look up that on, on YouTube. You'll find a lot of a lot of clips and stuff like that and see what that's about. Um, and um, if you uh, let's see, I don't know. I've got a personal website, neilhutchison.com, so you can see past projects and links to other things. Oh, and also the language language which is my work at NC State, which is a large part of what I've I've done over the last thirty years. Cool. Well, thank you very much for being on on my podcast. It's been very enjoyable having a conversation with you, and very illuminating. I I, I really appreciate the work that you do, uh, in uh, you know documenting the the culture of the mountains. Uh, you know, it, I think there was, it's a period of time that there was a unique culture and it's still there, but it is, it is disappearing somewhat. So uh, understanding it and preserving it, I think is great. Um, I want to remind everybody, this uh, podcast is on the talkradio.nyc network, but there's lots of fabulous podcasts for you to listen to. You've heard a few commercials if you've been listening to, to it live. Uh, after this show is Rediscovering New York on Tuesday nights uh, from uh, uh, seven to eight or uh, seven to eight. Uh, it's about vi visiting New York and there's a lot of inside stuff and unique culture of New York to explore. It's part of why I love being here when, I, you know, when I'm not in the mountains um, is the uniqueness of culture in New York City and the multiple cultures that you can experience here. So this show is great to go visit. You can uh, 
You can also watch this podcast on facebook.com slash gateway to the Smokies podcast where the live stream comes out with the Zoom so you can see our faces. Or you can go to gatewaytothesmokies.fun to uh, see this podcast and other previous podcasts as well as uh, signing up for a newsletter, be informed about uh, events and uh, future episodes and other things that we will do to, to illustrate and celebrate the culture of the Smoky Mountains and for things to do there and enjoy yourself. Thank you much. I'll see you next week when we have uh, for our show will be Wayne Ebinger, who is a well-known photographer in the Smoky Mountains. And, uh, and, and has experienced a lot. And we'll talk about uh, the beauty of the Smoky Mountains. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.